This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Brittany Norwood? Brittany Norwood was born in the state of Washington on May 18, 1982. She was one of nine children. She had four brothers and four sisters. Her father operated a small upholstery business. Brittany was a talented athlete. She attended college on Long Island in New York. She had a scholarship based on playing soccer there. Brittany lost her scholarship and was kicked out of school in 2003 after being accused of stealing from a number of different people, including her teammates and her roommate. She moved to Washington, D.C. and worked at a hotel before leaving that job to work at a Lululemon Athletica store in Georgetown. This is a store that sells various upscale products that are connected to yoga. In February of 2011, Brittany transferred from the Georgetown location to a store in Bethesda, Maryland. Brittany was not happy with the job. She had aspirations of being a personal trainer and viewed this position as just a stepping stone. In addition, there's evidence suggesting that Brittany worked as a prostitute during this time. She had a Metro card registered to a prostitution counseling group. One of Brittany's co-workers at the store was a 30-year-old graduate student named Jana Murray. Jana was born in Kansas on November 2, 1980, and was raised in Texas. She was also athletic. She was a discus thrower. After earning a bachelor's degree, she worked as a marketing representative for three years. She then returned to college to pursue a master's of business administration. Jana took a job at Lululemon to conduct research for her master's thesis. She did not intend on staying there. Once her thesis was completed, she decided to stay at the store until the end of the semester. There's also evidence supporting the idea that she wanted to work at the Lululemon headquarters. Therefore, she may have had aspirations of continuing her career with Lululemon. On the evening of March 11, 2011, Brittany and Jana were working in the store along with the manager. The manager left at 7 p.m., which meant that Jana was in charge. She was not supposed to be working that evening, but she covered for another employee. Brittany and Jana did not know each other very well, having only worked a few shifts together. After the store closed at 9 p.m., the women cleaned for a while. Apparently, the store had a theft prevention policy where the employees would check each other's backs, which seems ridiculous because they could just accuse each other, but I guess the store leadership thought this made sense. I find it interesting that the store did not have cameras either on the inside or the outside of the building. During this inspection, Brittany discovered an $80 pair of yoga pants in Jana's belongings. So two crimes were immediately evident, the theft of merchandise and charging $80 for yoga pants. Jana contacted the store manager and informed her about Brittany's alleged theft, but was told it would be investigated the next day. The women departed the store at 9.45 p.m. At 9.51 p.m., Brittany called another sales associate and said that she left her wallet in the store. She wanted Jana's phone number so that she could call Jana and have her meet her at the store. The sales associate texted Jana's phone number to Brittany. Brittany called Jana, 
and Jaina agreed to meet her at the store, they entered the store at 10.05 p.m. At this time, Brittany brutally attacked Jaina with a knife, rope, box cutter, hammer, and a steel bracket. All of these items were property of the store. Jaina sustained at least 331 injuries during the attack and did not survive. Next to the Lululemon store was an Apple store. Employees there heard a commotion around this time. During a period of about 15 minutes, they heard dragging noises, shouting, high-pitched squealing, screaming, yelling, and grunting. They heard a woman's voice say, don't do this, talk to me, what's going on? After this, there was additional screaming and yelling, followed by a woman's voice saying, God help me, please help me. The Apple employees couldn't be sure if the first voice was the same as the second voice. One of the employees contacted a security guard to investigate the disturbance and spoke to a manager, but no one called the police. After killing Jaina, Brittany walked out of the store and entered Jaina's vehicle. She moved it to a parking lot several blocks away. Brittany sat in the vehicle for about an hour and a half trying to develop a plan to escape responsibility for the homicide she just committed. Brittany returned to the store and tried to fabricate evidence to make it seem as though she and Jaina were both attacked by unknown male assailants. She inflicted superficial injuries on herself, cut her pants, removed three bags of cash from the safe, made a mess in the store to make it look like a robbery, and put on a pair of size 14 men's tennis shoes and tracked blood throughout the store. When she was done staging the scene, she bound her hands and feet with zip ties and laid on the floor to await rescue the next morning. Just after 8 a.m. on March 12, the manager of the store arrived and discovered the door was unlocked. When she entered, she noticed the lights were on and items were out of place. She heard Brittany moaning and immediately left the store and called 911. A bystander, waiting in line at the Apple store, noticed that the manager was distraught and approached her. He volunteered to enter the store, at which time he found Jaina and Brittany. The police arrived and Brittany was transported to the hospital. She was interviewed by the police on March 12th. Brittany claimed that she and Jaina were attacked by two men. She said the men committed assaults of a sexual nature against her and Jaina. The men were dressed in all black, wearing masks, and one was slightly taller than the other. That was pretty much it as far as her description. The police interviewed her again on March 14. Now she added to the story by saying that the attackers told her they knew where she lived. They had found bills in her purse containing her address. On March 16, Brittany was interviewed for a third time. By this point, the police knew that Brittany was lying because they found Brittany's DNA in Jana's car. Brittany initially said that she had never been in Jana's car. Brittany decided to stay with that same story during this interview. Two days later, she contacted the police asking to talk to them. Now Brittany was saying that she moved Jana's vehicle. She said that the attackers forced her to move the car and told her they would be watching her the entire time. When she was moving Jana's car, she saw a police officer in a patrol vehicle but was afraid to flag down the officer. She returned to the store based on these threats that the men made. Brittany was arrested and charged with murder. During her trial in the fall of 2011, her defense didn't even pretend that she wasn't the killer. Rather, they said that she committed second-degree murder. 
the defense did not call a single witness. Brittany Norwood was convicted of first-degree murder. A few months later, in January of 2012, she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Now moving to my analysis. There isn't any mystery around Brittany's guilt. Her defense was that she committed murder in the heat of the moment, as opposed to a murder involving premeditation. So either way, she was guilty of murder. It seems clear the jury made the right decision by convicting her of first-degree murder. Perhaps Brittany only intended to negotiate with Jaina about the theft allegation, so the initial attack may not have been planned. The problem for Brittany is that the attack lasted about 15 minutes. Jaina was alive for the vast majority of that time. Premeditation likely occurred at some point during the attack. If Brittany discontinued the attack, Jaina probably would have survived. Even if Brittany had not admitted to the murder, there was still enough evidence to convict her. A few examples. Brittany is the one who asked Jaina to come back to the store. The employees from the Apple store only heard women's voices coming from the Lululemon store. There were only two sets of bloody footprints in the store, those from size 14 men's tennis shoes and Jaina's shoes. These size 14 footprints never left the store. The shoes matching those footprints were property of the store and were found on the premises. All the weapons used to attack Jaina were property of the store as well. Brittany moved Jaina's vehicle and lied about it. The allegation of theft was not presented to the jury because it was hearsay. It seems clear that Brittany was stealing. The employees had been trying to catch her stealing for some time. The manager even contemplated installing hidden cameras specifically 
to catch Brittany. Now moving to the question, what do I think happened in this case? This is just a theory, my opinion. Brittany was having trouble achieving her goals in life. Many of her siblings were quite successful, but Brittany was lagging behind. When she was in college in New York, her sense of entitlement contributed to her stealing behavior. She believed that she deserved what other people had. She also had a lack of insight. Therefore, she didn't understand how her behavior was perceived by others. She was shocked and offended when she was thrown out of college. She wasn't charged with a crime, but it was still a devastating setback. She was becoming increasingly frustrated with the disparity between her level of greatness and her actual level of success. Brittany felt as though working at the Lululemon store was beneath her. They were lucky to have her. She started stealing merchandise because she believed that she deserved it. It was a way of setting things right, of making her compensation from the store equal to her importance. When Jaina caught Brittany stealing, Brittany realized that she was going to get fired. The store already suspected Brittany of stealing, as I mentioned. They were looking for proof so they could fire her. It was really just a matter of time before they caught her. Because Brittany was already suspected of theft, she couldn't accuse Jaina of stealing in return. Like pretend that she actually caught Jaina stealing and Jaina falsely accused her to deflect suspicion. Brittany's level of narcissism was simply too high to endure yet another failure. She was going to take action to correct the situation. Brittany did not blame herself for the theft. She blamed Jaina for having the audacity to inform store management. Jaina was the problem from Brittany's perspective. Jaina was unreasonable and unwilling to accept Brittany's greatness. Brittany confronted Jaina about the incident. Jaina stood her ground. She wasn't willing to change her story about catching Brittany in the act of stealing. Jaina was committed to Lululemon. Again, she may have wanted to stay with that company and work at the corporate office someday. Brittany lost control and started beating Jaina. Jaina tried to negotiate, but Brittany would not stop. She repeatedly struck Jaina with various objects she found in a small toolbox in the store. Jaina defended herself. She had over 100 defensive wounds, but Brittany still managed to kill her. Immediately after the homicide, Brittany realized that she was in trouble. She did not have a plan of what to do next. She knew that Jaina's car was parked in an unauthorized parking area. Jaina had only planned to be there for a couple of minutes, just long enough for Brittany to retrieve her purse. Concerned that somebody would find the vehicle and go looking for Jaina, Brittany moved it, not realizing this was a disastrous mistake. Brittany sat in Jaina's vehicle and contemplated her next move. She developed this idea of playing the victim. It's an attractive plan because it's an area where she had experience. She went back in the store and made clumsy attempts to fabricate evidence. Brittany had an overabundance of self-confidence. She believed that if she kept talking to the police, they would leave her alone. In reality, she only helped the police build a case against her. The last item I want to talk about in this case was the indifference of the Apple store employees. These employees heard all these sounds associated with the crime coming from the Lululemon store, including screaming, high-pitched squealing, and a victim crying out for help. Yet they decided that what was happening in the Lululemon store was just drama. In a way, their behavior does make sense considering that they were Apple Store employees and had acquired a lot of experience ignoring people who were saying that something was clearly amiss. I could picture them using this as a defense when somebody complains 
about Apple products. They might say, look, we don't even pay attention when someone is being murdered. What makes you think we care that your iPad screen keeps freezing? Now moving to my final thoughts. Before the homicide, Brittany Norwood had been accused of theft several times, but she did not have a history of violence. It's amazing to think that someone who was serving customers could beat a coworker to death just a few hours later. It's a frightening testament to the idea that you never know what somebody's capable of, and that sometimes small crimes can indicate the potential for large crimes. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.